it's about two degrees Celsius here. So I'm with a real disdain in my soul, I call across to Los Angeles. And the first thing I'm told is that it's a bit cold over there, which I'm not willing to accept is an actual interpretation of what cold is. But that's okay. I'm going to try and warm my disposition up. So we've actually spoken for quite a while now on and off about a few different things. And we've, we've had exchanges in messages and whatnot. And it's nice to finally put a face to the messages and so on. Let's start off with the obvious question, the question I always start with. Uh, what was it that made you take an interest in photography? Why did you want to be a photographer? Oh, man. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be chatting with you. Um, I actually listened to, to your podcast a ton during uh, quarantine last year. And that's kind of when I was teaching myself a lot of photography. So it's been a huge um, educational tool for me. So oh, that's cool. super excited to be here. Um, yeah. How did I get into photography? I kind of... Um, well, I guess I, I, I was laid off from a job and I had about a three month gap before I started my next gig and I needed to fill my time with something. Um, and I knew I always had a bit of a creative itch, but I didn't know like what that was for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had grown up performing a bit, but it never really, never really was totally my thing. Um, and so I decided to buy a camera off of Craigslist for, like a hundred bucks. I bought a Canon rebel and, uh, I just started begging friends to let me try <laughs> shooting them. And so <laughs> I had kind of a cool brick wall in my apartment at the time. And, um, I think the first person I shot was like a friend of a friend and it turned out better than I expected using like all auto settings on my camera. And so I kind of went with it and yeah, I guess it, it really started out of kind of just desperation to find something for myself. Um, right. and then slowly over, let's see. So I started working again. Um, and I kept doing a bit of photography on the side and then I invested in, well, I bought some studio equipment, uh, used and built a little studio in my apartment and started playing around with some lights. And around that time I had, um, one of my friends had posted something on Instagram that their friend was in town, needed a place to crash and I had some extra space. So I let them stay with me and they happened to be a photographer who was visiting. And, um, I ended up just picking their brain and they taught me a bit. And after they left, I ran with that knowledge and got a little better and kept, you know, begging more people to shoot. And it was a slow climb. Yep. And yeah, then I guess, uh, I started another job that summer worked it for about a year up until the pandemic happened. And then that's when I really jumped in full time. Yeah. So it's, it's surprisingly recent given the, the standard of your work. I think one of the weird things with photography and it doesn't seem to go with, I don't know, I don't know how this kind of works out because a lot of other art doesn't seem to work this way, but with photography, people seem to associate amount of time you're doing it with how good you are. Like you could almost answer the question, how good of a photographer are you with how long you've been doing it? And people will make an assumption. It's kind of a strange thing. And you're quite recent. So I guess the question I would have then, if you were looking for something to do to fill your time, and most people, I think, just watch TV, they watch Netflix or something, or they play video games or, or whatever. What was it in particular about photography and especially photographing people that kept your interest? I think I have uh, like a desire to be productive. A lot of the time I get anxious if I'm not, um, 
which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, I think from a larger like viewpoint, I was really dissatisfied with my job. I worked in tech. I ha- I studied business and worked in, um, I started in recruiting and kind of moved more towards brand management and marketing. And I just was miserable. And so I, I knew I wanted to find something that could potentially be a career or, um, be a source of income, I guess, or a place that a source of like larger life purpose that I could grow with. Mm-hmm. And in terms of people, I've always just enjoyed people and connecting with them. Um, and I think, well, like, I guess there is, there is one experience that really showed me how powerful like photographing people could be when I was, I was about probably about 22 or 23. I was living in Japan. I was there, uh, I lived in Tokyo and I was on an entertainment contract with Disney and there was a photographer out there, um, who worked with a lot of the performers who were living there at the time. And his name was Daniel. I cannot remember his last name, but he goes by Dan's D A N Z. And, uh, I did a photo shoot with him and we spent about two days shooting, um, me and I just remember that was the first time I ever saw myself in that kind of a light and saw myself with these high end photos and not just like a headshot, but like totally like classic and clean portraiture that it just gave me a lot of confidence and really transformed the way I viewed myself and, um, opened up. Yeah. It just made me feel really empowered. And I remember when I started photography again and the first few shoots I did when people were happy with their photos, it was super energizing to see that I was able to give people that same kind of confidence boost or that same kind of, um, just reinvigorated like motivation to go out and do whatever they're doing. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that's probably what's most exciting for me is, is just letting people see themselves in a new light or an elevated light that they maybe never had before. Well, to that, to that end, one thing that I'm, Maybe it's, I think it might be an English thing for sure, but it, it could be the result of phones or social media or whatever. One thing I struggle with is the issue of people are now very used to photographing themselves and they have a very particular idea of the way that they want to be photographed. I think it's becoming its own epidemic in a sense that people are very, oh, they almost see themselves as a brand and they could literally be, you know, they they work at a bowling alley, they, they pack shelves down at a supermarket, they, whatever they do, they think that they're a brand because they have a social media following and then they have a very particular way that they want to be shown. And then that leads to, it's, it's one of the most bizarre parts of my job is having people exp- on a very rare occasion, but explain an angle to me that they want to be photographed from. And it's always the same thing. It's always like arms distance away from slightly above eye level just what they're used to doing with their own phone. In terms of that experience where you saw yourself for the first time based on someone else, it's someone else's interpretation of you, which is always interesting. Is that like, is that the feeling that you're now chasing now in terms of giving that to other people? Yeah, I think, I think I just had never imagined that I could like, I I guess at the time I was trying to model a bit and I had never imagined that I would be able to look like that like as much like a fashion model or close to it or in that kind of style, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that really has drawn me to 
uh, like studio photography is it can't really be replicated the same way that other photography can't, I mean, no professional photography, if it's good, can really be replicated like on an iPhone or something. But something I struggled with like shooting outside at first was really making it, how are people going to tell like if this is from a camera or from, from an iPhone, you know, um, at least when you're starting, then people kind of develop their styles and their techniques around that and, and are able to do that. But I think that's what drew me to studio photography is I could provide them something that they couldn't do themselves. Um, yeah, I think I've kind of forget what your question was, but <laughs> no, no, you're good. I mean, one of the things that's kind of the most interesting to me is how people kind of find their style. And as someone that's currently going through like a weird, I'm on the tail end of like a bizarre creative and literal mental breakdown of like trying to redesign my life a little bit and redesign my photography a little bit, how people come to the point where they've got their style. And I think one thing that we do, I I tend to talk in like these big grand ways, but it's actually just me sitting in my house on my own half the time thinking about these things. But I feel like I look at other people's work and I'm like, oh, that person's got their shit together. Like they, they have their style. I know their work when I see it. They must be so confident in what they're doing. And I think a lot of the time people are actually like kind of more insecure than we realize, or they're, they're more in the process of not of being what they want to be, but they're not as far along that as what we think they are. What was the process that you went through to start to find your feet in what you wanted your work to look like? Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think... I don't think I ever like sought out to say, this is exactly what I want my work to look like. And this is where I want to end up. And I also don't think I've arrived at where I want it to end up. Um, and I don't know if we ever fully do, or if it's a constant evolution. Yeah. Uh, but I guess how I ended up with the style I have is I just worked with the resources I had. So I I bought all my equipment used and I had these certain lights and was able to, you know, have access to a studio. And, um, so I think I got comfortable with the setup that worked for me and that I felt looked elevated and looked expensive. And once I kind of figured out that lighting and like the technical aspect, I, I was able to focus more on directing people. And I was always drawn to just like the clean, I kind of always fall back on the term expensive because I, that's kind of what I'm the, the cleaning classic, just mm-hmm. like art of simplicity, I guess you could say. Um, and I think but you, if I jump in there, do you know what I actually think when I look at a lot of your work, I th- you can clearly tell that you're someone that very much focuses on the subject more than you do on. And this isn't meant to sound British people just sound so horrible. Everything they say, <laughs> this is why we are so rude to each other. Cause we don't know how to compliment. The tail end of this is going to sound rude. It's not. And I want to be able to finish what I'm saying. I can tell by looking at your work, you're someone who really focuses on your interaction with the subject as opposed to focusing on the technical aspects of photography where people look like they're doing wheelies, but the subject looks bored. If that makes sense. Totally. And your work, there's a word I would use for your work, which is very focused and very distraction free. Yeah, I would agree with that. I definitely, and that's one of the reasons I really like studio photography and that's, um, yeah, you just get to focus on the subject without other distractions. And it, it really relieves a lot of the pressure as a photographer to worry about like finding a location or finding, or like the, the framing of it. I can really just focus on directing the subject and getting the expression I want, or I'm really particular about 
making whatever expression they're doing look natural and comfortable um, and real and not forced. So mm-hmm. I like to spend a lot of time directing them and get and getting that side out of them where I feel like if I was responsible for creating more of a scene or more of like a set, I would have to spend so much more time focusing on, you know, external elements besides just them. So that's something that I really do enjoy about studio photography. And yeah, I would agree with what you're saying. And I appreciate that compliment. Nice. Uh, thank you for seeing it as a compliment because it's like <laughs> the hardest thing in the world. Like I try and pay my wife a compliment and then I have to be like, it's like a minefield of trying to figure out how to say it where it doesn't sound like I'm saying you're not something else. It's a very strange thing. It's, I think it's because we've played bad guys in so many American films that we always <laughs> sound like we're the bad guy. In terms of like the way that you get yourself in the, in the zone, either in terms of like the build up to a shoot or just wanting to feel enthusiastic about being a photographer, my personal way, generally speaking, is movies. I like to find, you know, really well-made movies, movies that are maybe a little bit outside of what I want my photography to look like, but it gives me ideas in terms of the way that someone's captured or the way that a mood is captured. And 99.999% of the time, what I'm actually watching doesn't inspire the actual end product, but it inspires me to want to create something. So in terms of like inspiration for you, where, where does that lie? Yeah, you know... I think I dug a lot more for inspiration when I was starting out and doing more test shoots and really um, having to create the whole projects myself versus now this year, like I kind of hit a point this year where, where I either had to decide if I wanted to go back and get like a corporate job to support myself or if I wanted to turn photography into something that could support myself and and grow. So now, now mostly like I'm, I'm working with individuals who want to come in and build a portfolio and they kind of have an idea of what they want. And I bring to the table, like my experience, my style I've crafted and then work with them to kind of help them achieve that aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Uh, before, you know, I honestly, like, I know this is frowned upon by a lot of, um, photographers, but I've found Instagram to be a great tool in terms of you know, there's a lot of photographers that I looked up to and reached out to when I was learning. So I taught myself everything. So it's quite hard to get access to people when you're learning in that, in that way. Um, and yeah, I looked a lot of that, their work. I would go to a lot of different publications, like, um, or I would also go search like model boards and look for, for photographs of models in there that I really liked and then backtrack who those photographers were and then kind of go through their work. Um, I wish I had a super, you know, art student type of background where I had like actual, um, movies or, you know, classic time pieces that I drew inspiration from. But, um, I think I've just been really inspired by what other people have been able to do and then, you know, sought out to kind of find my own version of that. I mean, I definitely don't see myself as an art student in the slightest. I'm a, <laughs> I'm, I'm a chef that got lost and ended up taking pictures. So it's a very different situation. I'm just a huge movie fan. And I think that, I think, I, I agree with you. I think Instagram is actually a really positive thing in a way. I, I have in the past been quite uh, detri- uh, demeaning, I guess, towards the platform. And I think in a lot of ways, there's a lot of bad parts of it um and i think the longer you spend on it away from doing anything useful with it it gets worse and worse if you focus yeah. it and one thing i did in in recent weeks is i unfollowed about 800 accounts 
just to get rid of stuff that I either found completely uninteresting or that I found to be nothing like the work that I want to be doing or even stuff that I'd followed out of politeness. And I was like, I need to like compartmentalize this. I need, when I'm on Instagram, it needs to be stuff that makes me want to not be on Instagram. So it has to be making me want to go and take pictures or making me want to go and look for a photo book or whatever. So curating Instagram is like a really important part of that because especially in an age where, and good God, I'm talking to someone in California, so this is a dangerous bit of territory, but in an age where (laughs) everything is politicized, I think that you can get mentally fatigued and emotionally fatigued by that. And it's good to have, I think a lot of creative people probably feel the same way where like you want to be inspired, but you don't want to be just constantly battered with negativity and, and, and downers essentially. So you have to find the balance between art that's relevant and not just burdening yourself with everyone else's issues, if that makes sense. No, a hundred percent. And I think something that um, was challenging when I was first on Instagram and that's kind of how I got exposure to different photographers was differentiating people whose work individually I thought was really impressive and really strong and versus people who just had a really consistent aesthetic because it's, it's very easy to do like some sort of very filtered style and, and do it consistently over and over again. And then all of a sudden it looks like this really polished, you know, piece of art but then when you look at the photos individually you're like oh the quality of those actually they're a bit over edited for my taste or they're a bit whatever for my taste but when you look at it together they they did kind of brand themselves in that way which if that's what they want to do is is great but um if you're you know looking to kind of master a certain style of photography or a certain element of that maybe not so much um mm-hmm. but i found it super you know, for me, I've made some really good connections that I never thought people have been much more helpful and much more open to discussion than I thought they would be. Um, and that's, I I got so much advice from other photographers early on where I kind of just decided to go for it and reach out to people. And they, they so easily could have just turned me away or not helped. And, And I found that people were quite excited to help other people. Um, and I found that people have been quite excited to watch my journey as well, especially coming from like a background that, that wasn't, you know, art related or photography related. Um, I think there's a lot of people working jobs that they're not happy with and kind of want to see, see, um, examples of where that's like attainable to, to go find something you want to do. So I kind of try to remember that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that like, they say the easiest way to make a friend is to ask for a favor, but like you think it's actually the opposite. Or have a common enemy. I mean, that always helps. I think, I think that's how most Americans are friends with each other, but um, for for sure. um, And maybe in England at the moment, actually we've all got a bit of a common enemy, but it's, it's interesting that you have a, uh, a situation where you build up in your mind, like I did with the podcast. I felt like every time I reach out to someone, it was going to be a no. So I kind of didn't reach out. And then, you know, you, you, you get like either a bit of, a bit of stupid courage late at night where you're like, I'm just going to go for it, see what happens. And then you get, you get a decent response and you're like, Oh wait, I've made people into this like bad sort of, I've put, made them into this negative thing. But actually if you just, put yourself out there and you prepare yourself for the odd horrendous response. Like I've had a couple of really bad ones, but, and you know, overall it's been a very positive thing. 
if I could ask about your portfolio, because especially for someone in, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean, in, you know, you've, you've got a lot of good work for someone who's been doing it for not a long time. Like there are people that have been doing it for 30 years that don't have the weakest image in your portfolio yet. So it says a lot that you're, you're at the position you're in. What's your turnover like in terms of your actual, your portfolio in your mind, what you'd say is these are my images where, you know, an image becomes a little bit too old or maybe it doesn't fit your style anymore. How much is that progressing? Are you really having to constantly update the website to get rid of old stuff? I think I was for a while. Uh, and now I think I, I think I still have some older images on there. I'll have to take a look, but I, I think I hit a point where maybe I learned how to edit better and I learned how to do lighting a little bit better. But after that point, some of my favorite images are some of my older ones. Um, so I, I would say maybe towards the beginning, there was a, like an exponential increase in my skill or the quality of my work. And then I think it's, it's kind of been a bit of a slower climb now and sometimes up and down, like not every shoot is going to be your best work even going forward. And it really shouldn't be if you're pushing yourself because you should be trying new things. And if you're not failing, you're not learning. So, um, I probably go through once every couple of months, but you know, right now I really don't feel like, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I feel like most people probably aren't viewing my website. Right. I mean, I am right. Literally at this moment. But. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting and kind of off topic, but on that, and, and they say this to you as someone who has a podcast too. I think we underestimate, even if, even if we have like a smaller following, just how many people are actually paying attention to your work or mm. paying attention to like, I listened to your podcast all throughout quarantine last year. And it was a huge educational tool for me. It was a huge, I would listen to it while I edited and it's, it's a great way to get exposure to, you know, artists who inspire you or who, or who can teach you things because there's not a lot of opportunity to do that aside from directly reaching out. So there's probably a lot more people than either of us think looking at our respective. Quite possibly. I mean, I, I yeah. actually had a, I recently inquired with someone about being a guest on the podcast and they, they wanted to know the numbers behind like what the listenership is and so on. And, Oh, interesting. And I had to go and look at that because I hadn't done an episode for a couple of months because I took a bit of a hiatus and I went and looked and it was like almost 30,000 um, downloads. Wild. And it's like, for this like dickhead in his flat in, in <laughs> Hampshire in England, it's kind of cool to have that many people have downloaded episodes and yeah. things like that. It does kind of catch you out because I think... Social media is very clever because they hire people that put you in a position where you constantly think you need more of the serotonin that they're selling. So you always right. think you're not getting enough. And then you kind of, you know, I, I always said to people like, you know, I don't really like the conversation about social media numbers because, or how to get more of it or how to, how to bring in new people, anything like that. I don't, I just don't think it's a particularly interesting endeavor for me even to listen to someone else doing, and it might be absolutely pertinent to them being successful in their job, but as a conversation, I couldn't think of anything more boring. I'd rather hear about like, you know, yesterday's dinner than hear about how they're going to get their subscribers up to 25,000 or something like that. Because I feel like if you're just chasing a metric at that point, it's, it becomes almost like drugs. It's, it's almost, you're, you're constantly chasing that dragon of the next round number of 
however many people that you need to get. And if you actually think about 300 people being in the room with you, that's an insane amount of people to be around. I mean, especially right. post-pandemic, that would be terrifying. But <laughs> to be in a room with 300 people, but then if you had 300 followers, you'd be like, oh, I haven't got any followers. And it's kind of crazy to think that 300 people could be really interested in what you're doing, but you're dismissing that because it's not a bigger number on a screen. It's, it's a very weird dynamic. Yeah, definitely quality over quantity of your audiences is most important. Um, I think for me, I've definitely shifted from viewing Instagram as like a source of validation or a source uh, from viewing it as a metric of my success to more just a business tool of how many people can I reach. And uh, particularly as I've tried to monetize my craft and make it like my full-time job, um, my focus has gone mostly from this is, you know, where I get validation for my work and the quality of it to this is how I expose my work to people so that they can reach out to me right. for like a business exchange. And that's kind of more what that platform has become for me. Um, but you have to go down to go up. So if you, if you perform online in a way to attract as many numbers as possible, when you then try to shift that into all of them being fans of yours, you're going to have to continue to perform in a way that isn't actually what you want to be doing. If you put out there what you really are passionate about, the numbers won't be great to begin with, but people will find you and there will be people that will see the passion in what you're doing. And there's a bigger reward in that than just a metric of people asking to see your boobs because they mistake you for the model or whatever. <laughs> you know? Definitely. And I think if, if the people following you are interested in what you're doing, it's, it's going to make it easier for you to keep doing the work that you like to do and less incentivizing to do work that um, you're not as excited about just for the sake of the benefit, whether that's, you know, more customers of that type or more um, comments or likes or whatever it is you're seeking from that. So I think there is a lot of value in playing the long game there and, and, you know, building the audience and community, I guess, that you want. I was thinking when you were, um, talking about the number of, of viewers and everything or listeners to your podcast or downloads and something you said made me remember like how hard it is when you're starting out as a photographer to get anyone to work with you or how scary it is to reach out to other people. Because if you don't have much to show, people don't know like what your potential is or what you're capable of. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a part of it, kind of the process that, that people don't really talk about. And you kind of do have to be fearless a bit and reaching out to people and, and not care about bad rejections um, when you're first starting, because it is a slow roll and you do have to beg your friends to shoot or, or whoever. Um, I remember I used to email agencies all the time to see if I could shoot models and it took forever to get a response. And finally I got a response and did one or two. And then slowly it flipped where I was getting asked to do it too much and I had to turn it down. Right. Um, so I think that, yeah, there is an element that people just really do have to be, you know, kind of accept that people might not respond well, but also it's encouraged me whenever people reach out to me to really, you know, someone wants to assist, of course, come on in. What yeah, they, yeah. You know? Yeah. You I've, know? I've had like through weddings, I've actually last night I had a, a previous groom whose wedding I photographed about six years ago. I feel bad for not knowing how long ago it was, but it's not my anniversary. And um, he's now a photographer that's photographing weddings. And he'd come on a, a couple of, of things with me and, and I've tried to help him out wherever I can. And 
it's it's a really nice feeling because you kind of you see someone go through the same stage as you did, but you can be assured that at least there's one person out there that's pulling for them. Because I remember when I first started, I think because maybe because social media is its infancy. And I think that photography has gone through quite a revolution, I think in the last five years, five, six years, that the people I was reaching out to just had no interest at all in having a conversation about it because they were protecting their corner of the market, which is an incredibly bleak way of looking at the world to think that you have to like prevent other people from trying to, to do well. But that's kind of the nature of things. Let's talk about photos. I'm done talking about social media. I say the word too many times now. Um, I've hit my quota for the year. There's one thing that you do really well, which lots of people don't do, um, especially I think a lot of people that are pe- people photographers in whatever respect that is kind of don't do this, maybe not for the best of reasons. Um, you, you are fantastic at photographing men. And yeah. lots of people don't photograph men, and I'm not going to make any assumptions, but I'm kind of insinuating that there might be a reason why a lot of guys don't photograph guys, because they <clears throat> think that it has to be a, a pursuit. I remember a piece of advice I was given very early on, terrible advice by an awful photographer that I should never have reached out to. And I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I think I've never mentioned this on the podcast before. British photographer, I'm not going to say who it was, because that would be really bad, and I'd definitely end up in court. But he said to me, never <laughs> photograph someone you wouldn't sleep with. And I thought, what an oh, absolutely bizarre... Yeah, thank you. I, at the time, I was like, what a bizarre thing to say. Like, it's just a bit gross. And just to think that that's an appropriate thing to say as it is. And then I got really thinking about it. And I was like, that's literally that guy's motivation for picking up a camera. Like, that's it. Like, he's... It's it's a... Uh, it's a... Uh, his camera is his pimp in a kind of weird, gross way. Yeah, that's so strange to me that people rely on that. It's like a, it's just gross. Yeah, it's, <laughs> um, it's, it's bizarre. Have, so the reason I've I photographed a lot of men is much is actually quite a trivial reason. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was saying before, when you're starting out, it's really hard to get people to shoot with you, and it's hard to get people to work with you. And as I started going into studio photography and wanting to elevate my work. Um, I had to do everything myself at first. I had to style right. people. I had right. to plan the shoots. I had to do everything. I know nothing about women's fashion. Mm-hmm. I know if I shoot women, there's a lot more elements to doing like their hair and makeup and everything. So really what it came down to is I, I was able to like pull from my own clothes. I was able to go shopping for clothes for men to like put together a style. Um, and that's kind of how that happened. And and then, you know, being that was work I was putting out, those are the people that started reaching out. Um, and it's starting to even back out again now that I'm at a place that people are like different other creatives are excited to read to work with me. Um, but that's, well, I mean, yeah, to that's your point really there, like I watched an interview recently with my a guy I'm just unbelievably obsessed with at the moment. Um, I can't watch my wife's going insane with the amount of YouTube and <coughs> book related stuff that I'm going through to I'm a huge Tom Ford fan. I find him to be incredibly interesting to listen to. And, and I, I don't know him as a person, obviously. And, the way celebrity culture is going, I'm sure he's an absolute bastard, like everyone turns out to be eventually. But um, he seems to be a really cool guy, very knowledgeable, very passionate, which I, I think we don't have enough passion in the world. And he says that he loves doing men's fashion because women's fashion, by the time you've even got an idea of what you're doing, it's changed. Whereas men's fashion is very classic. It's very refined. It can carry for a long period of time. Women's fashion. I don't think most people know what they're doing with women's fashion. I don't think you're alone there by any stretch. 
Yeah. And, you know, some people are just really creative geniuses where they can throw something together and it will look amazing. And if I had tried to do anything remotely similar to that, it just would not work. And I don't know how they know that that's going to work (laughs) because it's totally inventive and totally new. But, um, you know, some people are really great at that. And I'm super appreciative that there are people out there who are, because I am, I am not, not one of them. (laughs) There's a, there's a photographer called Raphael Pavarotti who shot, uh, Rihanna recently for, I think it was for Italian Vogue. I can't remember, but he shot Rihanna recently. And if like one of the pictures is her, I'm pretty sure she's dressed up as like a blunt and it's like, she literally looks like a school mascot <laughs> of a blunt. And it's like, if I did that, it would look like the shittiest shit thing that ever was shit. But someone like that can do it. And you're like, why does it work for you? This isn't fair. This like, how did you yeah. pull this off? I have the same feeling when people do these really elevated looking kind of unfinished shoots where it's like half on the backdrop, half off. And it's like, it just looks so clean and expensive and high end and well done. And I I feel like if I were to try to put that out there, it would just look like a misfire. Like, (laughs) like you didn't put them in the right spot and you just accidentally got half a set. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think that's something this, this, this year, I really put a lot of effort into building my business so I could sustain doing this, but next year I'm really excited to kind of search for that kind of inspiration and, and lean into kind of growing my skill in that way. So, um, on the subject of these, these guys that you photograph, there's a couple I'm very interested in. Okay. Just in terms of the shoe, uh, one, I think is one of the best faces to photograph that exists, which is Jeremy Meeks. And I'm sure that sounds incredibly British the way that I'm saying it, but I think he's got a fantastic face. I think his eyes are insane. What was that shoot like and how did that come about? Let's see. So yeah, I think, I think last year I was more concerned about um, growing quickly and elevating my portfolio mm-hmm. rather than monetizing it. And so I was reaching out to a lot of publications um, to see if they needed people to work with them. And there was a local magazine here um, that wanted to work with me and he was one of the talent they sent out that they needed a photographer for. So I jumped on that very quickly and, um, yeah, it really wasn't too unsimilar or dissimilar to other shoots I've done. Um, just brought him in the studio and kind of, I knew I wanted to get the shot of him that he like the straight on shot that I have of him in the Dolce and Gabbana hat. Um, I knew I wanted that coming in and thankfully the stylist like had a similar, um, look planned for him. So that's what I was most excited about. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really didn't do anything too different than what I would have done with anyone else. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a, you know, you can either psych yourself out about doing bigger shoots like that, or, or you can just, lean into what you do well and stick to your process and, you know, not, and be confident in what you're bringing to the table and be confident in your experience, because it's not like you're just going to forget everything that you know how to do, or it's not like you're going to do a worse job just because it's a different person there. And it's really interesting because when you're a photographer, regardless who the subject is, I found at least, unless it's a total dickhead, they, (laughs) people, people put a lot of faith in you and people give you a lot of authority and they listen to direction and and especially talent who works a lot. They're used to listening to direction because they know that's how they're going to get their best shots. And they know that that's kind of how the process works. Um, and he, he, most of his work 
to the first part of his career was being a model. So in addition to just like having a great look and um, being a notable person, he was a good model. Yeah. Well, I think he's one of the few people that has the the notoriety and the look. Like one thing that I'm very frustrated with, and I might be, you know, we might be completely different on this, but I I miss the days when we had supermodels because I miss people looking interesting as opposed to what we're getting now, which is this like heavily contoured factory of people that look the same, where that that like there's almost a look you have to have to be a celebrity and then therefore you'll be used in campaigns because of your notoriety. He actually has a look that sets him apart, I think. Yeah. And I, I talk about this a lot with people just, um, I don't know if we're ever going to get the same kind of celebrity supermodels or just celebrities in general, again, just because the way we consume content now is so vapid and so quick versus mm-hmm. before they were really like, there's a lot of effort into crafting people's like branded stories and everything that they kind of needed those. We were, we were kind of fed like fewer options versus now things are much more vapid and, and the styles out there that, you know, kind of are very like makeup heavy and everything are, are more attainable for people because they yeah. can, it's, it's, it's almost more of like, it's imitatable. You know, anyone can, yeah, anyone can cake on makeup or get some plastic surgery to look this way. But it's 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 less of this unattainable classic. Like you either have it or don't look. Yeah, I mean, I, like if I watch the Olympics, I want to see someone run faster than I can run. I don't want to see yeah. someone <laughs> run as fast as me so that I feel like I'm part of it. I want someone to run significantly. If I'm if I'm looking at if I'm watching a film, I want to see people that are far more charismatic than me that look better than me that project themselves better than me because those things are exciting it's nice i i one thing i i I do agree with you i think we're we are as far away from that culture as we could ever possibly be where there's actually some interest in the celebrity culture as opposed to just it's just like just eat it eat it eat it and just it's gone in like a heartbeat what i could see happening at some point is some kind of societal burnout like a cultural burnout where someone some form of i mean you know a rihanna or a a someone like that literally puts the brakes on i mean we can kind of see with someone like rihanna who doesn't produce music at the moment and although she's got loads of other things making her money and making her famous there's there's like almost a a withdrawal symptom because she's not making music there's people that want music from her I think when when a when a, a person in the public eye holds out is actually when they create a bigger buzz as opposed to just constantly trying to be in front of you. And I think that collectively, I think America, Canada, the UK, potentially some of mainland Europe that's more comfortable with English speaking because they they're a bit more attached to our sort of collective culture. I think there could be a burnout there where people just go, I'm actually kind of sick of someone being a celebrity for three minutes and then we're moving on to the next one and we might just have to calm the fuck down and just dwell on something just like read the full book rather than just read the bit on the back and then move on to the next one it's 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 a it's a very weird situation do you ever find yourself feeling like because of that vapid nature that i mean this sounds like i'm being a bit of a debbie downer but do you ever feel like sometimes it kind of demotivates you to make stuff because people are just consuming it too quickly Hmm. Well, I definitely think it shifted my priorities in shooting. I think like I was saying last year was 
really concerned about building up my portfolio. I was concerned about shooting people who had more of a following or some sort of clout to their name, I guess. Um, or, or just more, I, I was concerned with shooting personalities, I guess. And, and I think very quickly, I realized the satisfaction or clout you get from that goes away so quickly. And the only place you were, I realized the only place I was looking to get it from was like Instagram or something. And, and so once I realized that that was like not providing any satisfaction, I kind of took reevaluated what it is that, that I like about what I do. And what I love about what I do is kind of what I was saying of, of why I got into photography in the first place is I love my days on set where I'm working with people and, and not just getting them good photographs, but kind of teaching them and working with them to bring out the side or develop the skill to, to model better, to move better, to have better awareness of their body. And, um, just kind of that bonded time spent together is what's really fulfilling for me. And I always think through like, at the end of the day, this is my life and this is what I'm doing every day. So this is what I want to, to enjoy. I don't just want to enjoy when I put this final product out. That's, right. that's a really cool part of it. But, um, you know, the hours and hours spent and the way I'm spending my time and the way I'm spending my life, like it's happening right now is that time actually in the studio and on set with them. So I started putting more of an emphasis on that. And I think the impact that you're able to have as a photographer on people in that way is really rewarding and extends much further than the satisfaction of getting a lot of applause for shooting a particular person or for right. one really great campaign, at least for me, I think there's, there's a space for both, but, um, yeah. that's kind of, I think I get a lot more satisfaction out of what I do, seeing how much it, it helps them or seeing how much it impacts them or boosts their confidence or excites them. Yeah. You get to see the human element as well. It's not just a number. Yeah. So I, I mentioned one name, another, and I'm going to butcher this. I, I'm going to, I watch a lot of American sports. I'm going to do my best to say this, not with an accent, because that would be offensive, but I'm going to do my best to say this. I'm trying to think who you're talking about. I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> I'm going to try and say this the way that I think an American would say it. So I believe it would be Misha Osherovich. Yes. Have I said that correctly? Um, Will that do? I'm not actually positive how to pronounce their last name. Let's say I was right then, so I feel better about myself. Because with a full set of British teeth and a a history of having a pretty bad stutter, it's nice to actually get it close. I I think that's that's probably pretty close to spot on, but I will. That's what we're going with. That's what we're going with. So (laughs) uh, this year, I I watched. uh, I'm a big horror fan. Very big horror fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how me and my wife kind of bonded in the early days. We went to a lot of horror films and. One thing I do like is I do like a very stupid, trashy, fun horror film. It's a lot more fun <laughs> to watch a film like that than it is to watch a comedy that's not funny or an action film that's not exciting. Because when you watch a silly, trashy horror film, at worst, it's going to be funny because it's going to be so trashy that it's funny. <laughs> um, and one of my favorite films this year, actually, and I was not expecting to like it in the slightest, was a film called Freaky. And he was uh, one of the stars of, of Freaky. And... um what was he like to work with? Cause he seems like a really kind of energetic guy with a lot of personality. So I'm really hoping I haven't set this up for a fall. Yeah. Um, so something really cool about Misha, Misha's non-binary. So they go by pronouns they and them. Okay. Um, and they are super cool and super dedicated to their craft. There's someone who still spends, um, a lot of time, I, I think it's, you know, in LA, you get a lot of people who 
jump on the social media bandwagon and just won't like quit successfully, but they're super dedicated to their craft and um, spend a lot of time working on that. It was kind of serendipitous how we ended up working together. Um, I had shot someone named Nico for uh, an article that was coming out ahead of time of a movie called on Netflix called the prom that they were in, that he was in and um, his PR his publicist was on that shoot. And the next morning I got a call from them um, because their photographer had backed out for a shoot with Misha. And so that's how I ended up shooting Misha. Um, and yeah, last minute ran down to their studio and didn't really know what I was stepping into and made it work. And we ended up um, kind of forming a friendship. And then later on, as they started doing more projects, they came back to me for some portraits for press photos and kind of maintained a relationship in that form. Well, I mean, the energy in the, in the images show that you're both, you work well together. It's not, you, you can, I think you can tell when you've, maybe because I spend too much time looking at photography, but you can really tell when two people actually are bouncing off each other in a photo shoot, as opposed to two people that are kind of just going through the motions. So it's, it definitely yeah. shows that. I do want to apologize for getting the pronouns wrong. Um, with the, the, with, I mean, with a situation like that, so I'm in, I'm in Hampshire in England. It's dead. There's nothing here. We're just waiting <laughs> for the world to end. You're in LA and a lot of us don't understand. We, we understand LA being culturally significant more as a word than we really understand what it would be like to be part of it. You say that you get like a publicist and then you're saying like, oh, a publicist, Netflix, this person's in a movie. That's something that doesn't make sense to people that are outside of that circle. So I have two questions about LA. The first is that you can't have a shortage of people to work with. It must be very easy to find people to work with. And I'm fine being wrong with that, but that's my first question. And my second question is about standing out in LA. So let's start off with the first one. That's, that's, how easy is it to actually find people to work with? I think something I found about work in general is that more work leads to more work. And so I think that once you kind of get your first um, subject in whichever direction it is, whether it's a model, whether it's a public figure, whether it's a dancer, it's typically that that leads to other um, work with similar individuals. Um, it makes it much easier because mostly because people know you're capable and available to do it. I, I do think it's, it's easier to find those opportunities in LA simply because there is a need for it. It, it is a whole industry that um, at the end of the day, if an article is coming out to, you know, publicize a movie, they need a photo of this person by Friday, one way or the other. So there's an element of right place, right time being available, an element of definitely having the quality of work that, is good enough for that. Um, and then just, you know, letting people know you're available and maintaining those relationships. And, um, I, I didn't really put too much thought into it other than just making sure to form a connection with anyone I meet. Um, that's genuine. That goes a long way rather than trying to be salesy or self-promotional. Right. Cause I imagine that's quite common. You know, that's almost a meme of that kind of thing where everyone heads to LA to become famous. Therefore their only personality trait is the intention to become famous. And I think that obviously yeah. LA's, it has to exist outside of that because that can't maintain a cultural hub the way that LA has maintained itself. 
But then, then on the other side, with so many people being there and it being a hub in itself, how, how hard do you find it to stand out? And do you find that there's a lot of competition? Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of competition, but I've never felt like I've missed out on a job because of someone else. I've never felt like, I don't think, and I'm sure this has happened to people, but I don't think I've ever been in a position where I was being considered for something and they went with someone else. I feel like it was more like the project fell through or um, whatever. And I think there's plenty of work out there here. Like I said, there's a constant need for it, even with the same um, public figures, the same, you know, whatever it is you're trying to shoot. If it's not this shoot, they're going to have more in the future. Um, I think it is important to just build genuine relationships with people and be easy to work with or find the people that you jam well with. And then they usually come back to you because again, it's that they have, they have need for promo photos or press or whatever. And, um, you're top of mind and they had a good experience. Right. But I don't, I don't think I've ever, I mean, one of the reasons I got into photography versus like when I first moved to LA before I started working corporate, I thought I wanted to act and everything. And I didn't go down that road very quickly because I was not, it was not meant for me. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I really have loved being able to be kind of more in control of my career and kind of get to just, I guess I can create work or seek out work if I want this way, rather than relying on someone to cast me. So I've kind of tried to avoid viewing like opportunities as circumstantial and like, Oh, I'm not getting it because of X, Y, and Z or, Oh, they need to choose me for this and not think of it as, as competition, but rather just, I don't know. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's no matter how big the, the market is, there's always enough work to go around. And, and, yeah. and if, if you're getting beaten to the punch a lot on something, it might be an internal issue as opposed to worrying about external factors. It might be something that you can fix rather than blame other people for. On that subject, I've also learned that it's not necessarily like, you don't have to be the most talented person to get a job or to do something. Like I said, there is a need for it. So I think a lot of people get very caught up in, in waiting till their work is perfect to put themselves out there for these opportunities or they get caught up in being too scared to reach out or thinking they're not good enough. And, you know, we're, we're probably never going to reach our potential as artists as long as we're working until like later in our, our lives, you know, it's going to keep building. So yes, there's a certain fundamental level of like talent and quality that is necessary to be used professionally, but I think people can get started a lot sooner than, than they realize and kind of separate. Um, there is a business side to that as well. Like there, you know, you, you something that's calmed me down a lot. I think I, I used to get a lot of anxiety and I still do about like getting better, faster, being as good as other people. Like every week, every other week, I'm wondering like, how am I ever go, going to, I guess, compete like you're saying, um, but like what I calm myself down about is like, you can still work on your way up. And so I have the rest of my life to get better at these different styles, to, to do better editorials, to evolve my style. But it doesn't mean that I can't still do opportunities along the way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that people should remember when they're kind of pursuing a career. Well, I definitely don't think that, that people, as they get older, become more satisfied. I think you just stop wasting energy on, hating yourself. I think that yeah. <laughs> there's a, a tremendous amount. If you could 
harness self-hatred into some kind of renewable energy source, we wouldn't need we wouldn't need need to worry about solar at that point because I think we could probably power the world. Let's talk about subjects in general. Um, from your point of view, and, and I have a incredibly strong opinion about um, how this works, and I think every photographer should have a strong opinion about how this works, especially working with people. For you, what makes a, I'm going to be negative because I'm I'm British and that's what we do. Go for it. <laughs> what makes a good subject for you? What makes you do? What brings out the best of you? And then conversely, what brings out the worst? I think people who are passionate about what they do. I really love. I I love photographing dancers or people who, um, anyone who has like a skill that they're they're they dedicate time to and craft. It's really fun in the studio to like create a vibe that they're super comfortable with. Oftentimes when I start shooting it, like aside from like, I'll put on music they like and create like a vibe they're comfortable in, but I'll just take time and start shooting and talking to them without really any objective of getting a, you know, good shot right away. Um, and I try to just create a space where they can do their thing. And kind of as they get more comfortable and as they start to see better photos themselves, they start to realize, Oh, cool, cool. Let me try this. Or let me, let me try this. Now they get excited and kind of forget that they're the pressure of being photographed and just get to have fun and, and be free. So I think people that, you know, whether they're an actor, like Misha was, t- takes a ton of time to like focus on their expression and, you know, spending like on the nuances versus like a dancer will spend more time creating different shapes or playing like you show them a photo and they're like, Oh, I can do that one better. Um, so whatever their craft is that they're able to kind of emulate and get excited about and push themselves in that way. Um, when they have the space to, to play that, that makes a really exciting subject for me. Um, in more general terms for anyone I'm shooting, people who are just open and willing to like move around. It's really important to me. Nothing's harder or more challenging as a photographer when someone just sits there and doesn't (laughs) like they need to give you something to work with. So, um, those would be kind of, I think that would be what I would say. I, I always find that the, um, the shoot is way more dependent on the relationship that you can forge over that period of time than it is on anything you could do with lights or settings or lenses or anything like that. It's like, and, and it carries over to like weddings. There are, there are weddings I do and I've done about 450 now and there's been a handful where I really don't like the person that I'm photographing. And it's usually because they do something really horrible to someone in front of me or to, I mean, on one occasion, one or two occasions to me, which I kind of almost doesn't bother me as much. But when I see someone be really nasty, it's very hard to then photograph them as anything other than what you see them as. So it's almost, you have to trick yourself into liking them to get a photo of them. And I really don't want to do that. Yeah. I could see that being challenging. I'm trying to think how that would translate into to the work. I feel like because of the, the the nature of the shoots I do, it's very like one-on-one that I can kind of maybe try to chat them into a better headspace or kind of find a ground where they get a little more confident and relax. I find giving people feedback and showing them photos where they're starting to look better, like improves their confidence. Cause usually if someone's being nasty or, or 
unpleasant. It's coming from a place of discontent within themselves. So, um, you see, it's, it's difficult. You're Californian and you're a positive person. You smiled the whole way through this. And I'm just, I'm just like a troll living <laughs> under a bridge with a British accent. Yeah. I mean, like at the end of the day, some people, some shoots are just going to be better than others. And some subjects are just going to work a little better than others. And I think it's, you know, some, sometimes you just got to do your best to get through it and, um, realize, I, I think understanding not settling, but just kind of realizing, okay, this is what I'm going to get out of this shoot. This is probably the best we're going to get out of this. And this is what it's going to look like. Right. And kind of accepting that. Well, something I'm always interested in is how people like navigate when things aren't working. Cause that's like, like you said, you kind of, I like your word settle. Cause I think that's the perfect word. Like sometimes you have to kind of say, this is the heights that we can reach here because of whatever factor. So we're going to make sure we get there. Yeah. And it's not maybe that like as a, as a creative, it's not the nicest feeling in the world to have to say, fuck it, that'll do. But you kind of sometimes are cornered by circumstance with your, you, you said about, you know, you, you build up a style, but you're also trying to grow and trying to come up with new things, challenge yourself and so on. What's the, what's the shoot like for you? I know obviously it's different depending on like paid and, and not paid and, and whatnot, but, in terms of like the experimentation that you do, are you doing like four sets that you know are going to be your go-to really good lighting setups and everything you want from it? And then you'll do one for experimentation and see what happens. How does that kind of filter out? Yeah, I definitely always try to like try something new or improve upon something that I, I tried in the, in the previous shoot. I, I used to be so scared of taking a bad photo and as I've built the volume of portfolio where I'm confident people can see that I have a certain level of skill. I'm, I'm not as terrified of that. Um, so even on page shoots, I'll, I'll still try a different lighting setup. I'll try backlighting and doing like silhouettes or I'll try, um, playing around different settings. Even if they're, even if they're minor things, it's still like positive information to get back to you. Um, I've started, there's like, I have a garage door at the studio and I'll start playing with more natural light and different backdrops. And okay. Cause most of my stuff is, is really clean studio backdrops. So I started trying to push myself to do, um, more in that realm, but yeah, typically I always find like one or two things to go that way. Or if I, in the earlier days before I really had much work to fall back on, it was much more experimental because I hadn't done much before. Um, so I would find photographers that had like different lighting setups and oftentimes like ask them how they did it and then implement it and kind of get feedback from them. So you mentioned earlier dancers and I, some of your, there's two images in particular I just had on my screen yeah. of dancers that it's kind of, you've blended like editorial fashion with dance, which is a, what I just think is a wonderful look. It's such a cool, uh, such a cool aesthetic and it's, it's like, it's got emotion. It's got, geometry it's got everything that you need from an image the contrast is great something that's quite important i think if you want to photograph say ice hockey it helps to know the rules of ice hockey if you mm -hmm. want to photograph wildlife it helps to understand the animals where you're going and and, and their behavior to an extent you can't know everything but <coughs> it's good to have a bit of background information something like dance or when you're working with an actor that might have a process What's the dialogue like so that you can have enough information to be able to ask for what you need from them? And that the, the, I guess the, 
it's weird because they probably have a different language for what they're doing than how most people would interpret it. So how do you go through the process of figuring out that language? Well, to be totally honest with dance um, in particular, I grew up dancing a decent amount. So I have a bit of that background. Um, But as I was saying before, it's one of those, yeah, it was an artistic outlet, but never really hit for me. I never really was like a dancer or that phenomenal at it. But I do, I do understand a lot of what's supposed to happen there and what makes good shapes and what's technically correct. So I think that gives me a bit of an advantage there. Um, and just, I have a lot of friends growing up in that realm that that are dancers or who have gone on to be dancers. So I kind of get a bit of that culture and bond with them quite easily. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's an advantage there, but as I was saying with like, it's really just setting a stage where people feel safe and are able to like, people are always rigid when you first start shooting, especially in a studio setting. It's not natural. Like I I've tried photographing myself sometimes and I was like, wow, I am really asking a lot of people when I put them here to do this because I have no idea what my face is doing or what I look like. And something you said before is how do you kind of progress through a shoot when it's not working or, or whatever. And you just keep going. Like you just, you can't be afraid of taking a bad photo. It's going to happen. If even now if people saw the photos I took, it's only like, you know, a select few that I'm happy with from the shoot, but that's okay. Because whatever your process is to get those photos, in my opinion, there's no wrong or right way. I know there's some people that really frown upon overshooting. Maybe if you're doing a commercial job and there's other people involved and, um, you know, that need to sort through those, that's, there's a little more, to it. But, um, in terms of like, I I think just continuing to like click and continue to encourage people and, um, letting people know it's okay to take a bad photo and not, and it's normal that they're not going to all going to all look perfect. Eventually they start to relax and they start to feel it. Then they see a photo they like of themselves and they're excited to improve upon it. So I think kind of giving them that permission to experiment and feel free of judgment and get kind of comfy and cozy doing their thing is, is when they're able to, you know, fully lean into it and relax and kind of forget a camera is there. And once, once they see, I, I do try to show them some good photos early on. Cause then they kind of have a little more faith in you, I guess, or trust it builds a bit of trust that you have good taste and you're going to make them look good. And you're, you have just as much of a vested interest in making them look good as you do. I, I think also as, as I've gotten further in, in my career here, I think people come to me because of the aesthetic I've built and because of the, the photos I've built. So that there's a bit more, they come to me because they want their photos to look like the way I'm going to make them look. So they, they, there's a bit more trust and a little bit less ambiguity about what they expect. They kind of have an idea of, of what the what the photos will look like if they come to me. So they trust me a little more to like just relax and experiment. Yeah, you have that that kind of established aesthetic and then people can kind yeah. of it's not gonna be that, but that's 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 the brand, that's the ballpark. <laughs> totally. So a question that I, I avoid massively at almost every podcast, and I tend to get like <laughs> the same two or three people get frustrated. I don't talk about gear at all because I just don't find gear particularly interesting in the sense that I think I, I, I just get flashbacks of every time I was around a photographer early on in England, where you would be in some like dimly lit room 
and you would end up having a conversation with a photographer and it would be like, what camera do you use? Because we need to work out whether or not we can be friends based on what like thing you bought from a shop says about your personality. And I just don't think it really matters totally. that much. But in terms of of gear, the other thing as well is I think like a portfolio like yours, I really worry that everything I say sounds mean. And I don't think it no. does. But a, a portfolio <laughs> like yours, I think, is proof that like you you just shouldn't focus on gear. And I don't even know what gear you're using, but you shouldn't focus on gear. You should be focusing on your knowledge and your relationship of the subject as opposed to just like being so pointlessly enamored with this piece of aluminium in your hands or whatever they're made of because I care so little. But let's, let's indulge the one or two people that tend to send me aggressive messages and say, what camera and lenses are you kind of using on a, on a day-to-day basis? Oh, I am the least to everything I have. I bought used and mm. I, um, it works. So I haven't really spent too much mind into, uh, into getting new gear until I need to. I think as I get along and as I notice certain things start to bother me, then I, then I get interested in getting new gear. Um, I shoot on a Canon 5D Mark three and I pretty much always use a 70 to 200 millimeter zoom lens. Yeah. It's, it's one of those Um, things I think that people get so wrapped up in. Like you said that the perfect way there, like when you start to notice that you're hitting the ceiling is when you need the new piece of gear. It's not get the new piece of gear and there won't be a ceiling. You need to, you need to like get to that point where you aggressively need a new piece of gear. And that will that will justify the purchase and everything, as opposed to just buy it and you'll get better at photography, which never happens. It's also just like a very quick fix. If you need new, if you if you have the skill and you need new gear, I can go down to the store and buy new gear, and it might improve something slightly. But your skill in directing people or your eye that can only be established over time and through consistency and repetition. So, um, yeah, until there's like a problem, I don't really see. I I just I, I think there's a lot of people maybe that don't that don't give photography a shot because they feel like there's this huge barrier to entry or it feels so over uh, it feels so overwhelming or there's so much information but you you really don't like there's a certain degree of gear you need that's good enough to do the job but mm. um for this type of photography I I feel fine with what I have. <laughs> I mean, that's all that matters, right? You don't have to, yeah. you don't really have to worry about what other people think of anything if you're comfortable with it. I th- that's, that's one of the most bizarre things I've ever kind of, I don't think I've ever really got my head around, but I remember a couple of years ago uh, switching from uh, Canon to Fuji because I'd had a Fuji as literally a camera for photographing my dog who I hope hasn't been making too much noise, but has actually snored at points. She's, she's this big. She's a chihuahua and she is, she's in a bed that's big enough for a Doberman and she's just being an absolute pain. But I had, I had a little point and shoot Fuji that was just to take pictures of my dog when we went out for a walk or anything like that. And I was like, I really like the way the Fuji's working. I really like the menu layout and stuff. And, Decided to make the switch because I knew I had to get a mirrorless at some point. My wife didn't like Fuji, so we had to make another switch from there to Sony. And we made that switch right before the start of the pandemic, which is a wonderful, like, £15,000 expense. Oh. But uh, I, I've had people, when I was on the Fuji, that would say, like, 
oh, I, I, I don't know how you can use that. It's the sensor's not big enough. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. And I just think, well, you're not using it. So why are you getting bent out of shape about it? Like someone else using it really shouldn't be that much of an issue for you. I never really understood it. Like, I don't really care what you use to cook your dinner. I don't really care what you use to drive yourself yeah. to work. I don't know why people care about that for each other. It's a strange world. I mean, I think it's really easy when you're blending your career with like a creative, like if, if a creative task or creative, I don't know what I'm trying to say. If your career is as a creative, it's really easy to, um, become insecure about things. And I do this all the time because it's, it's a hard contrast between it's hard to separate the feeling of like, Oh, am I going to have a successful career with, Oh, is my work good enough? Oh, is, you know, and kind of confuse the two. So it's, it's easy to get really insecure about that. And I feel like that's probably where a lot of that comes from because it it's, um, something that maybe people use to help themselves feel, feel safe or secure or elevated in whatever they're doing because they have that equipment or they know about it. So they're trying to validate their decisions. And yeah, I've, I feel like if you I put, know. I mean, this is probably going to be a very British reference, but Lewis Hamilton's a formula one driver. Um, okay. and I think he holds the joint record for the most championships. He should have one more, but we've just had a incredibly rigged race. And there's a couple of people that are listening to me say that I'm going to be so annoyed that I've just said that. But he's a fantastic driver. I feel like if you put me in a Formula One car, I wouldn't drive as well as he would in my crappy Ford. Like, it's the ability, not the equipment, that's going to do the majority of the heavy lifting. And that's where people's focus should be. Um, two quick questions. Or no, one quick question and then a big follow-up question. Do you do your own retouching? I do. I've a few. There's been a few times like I would say less than like five that I've outsourced a bit when I've been really behind. But for the most part I do, I've never been as satisfied when someone else does it. Um, and also a lot of like, I do minor tweaks that I think are a level of like taste, I guess. Like, I think that's a part of why people come to me is like the way I see, I see things. And some of that does come into, to retouching, like how, how much you contour. And I think it's, it's important to be like very delicate and very natural. And it's hard to fully rely on someone else for that when it's something like portraits or something very personal of, of another person. It's very strange, right? To be, to me, there's a weird disconnect because they haven't been in the room. They haven't seen that person's real face and then they're retouching it. And it's almost like they're trying to improve something they haven't seen, even though they've got the photo. The lighting yeah. is going to it's gonna not give them the full picture, no matter how good the lighting is, because you're going to have seen every possible angle of light on that person's face. And you kind of, it's a very strange thing. I feel like knowing the light in the room and seeing the person in, in real life changes the way you retouch them. Right. Right. And just, I mean, everyone also just has their own tastes and opinions and perspective. And that's, that's a huge part of it. Like retouching can do a lot. So I, 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 the few times I've tried, I haven't been, not that they did a poor job or anything. I just, I've always preferred to do my own, but it can be a very time consuming task. So I understand that there's, I feel like if I was ever going to heavily rely on someone retouching, it would have to be someone who worked with me directly. Like, in person as an assistant and kind of learned the way I make judgments on things and kind of learned how to think the the way I did it in order for me to be satisfied with, with someone else. I mean, it's a lot it. more philosophical than I think it's given credit yeah. for. I know I, I've done a lot of reading of Peter Lindbergh and, and his 
sort of interpretation of retouching is very interesting and it sent me into a bit of a crisis because I'm not a big fan of the actual process of retouching. I don't really enjoy (laughs) doing it. And to see someone of his level and and his legend basically say that retouching is a bad thing and that he despises the, I don't know if despises is a fair word to put in his mouth, but essentially he's not a fan of what retouching is now doing um, and what retouching became. It sent me into a bit of a spin because on the one hand, you want stuff to look polished and finished and and you want to make the best of, of the tools that you have. And on the other end of it, you see some of the retouching that's done by people where it looks like they tried to retouch someone's face with a fork. And it's like, you've got to somehow find the balance that you're comfortable with in terms of yeah. like your own philosophy with retouching. I mean, you sound like you pr- you kind of enjoy the process. I don't want to lie. It sounds like you don't hate retouching. I enjoy it until I feel overwhelmed and um, like it's like I have so much to do that I'm never going to see an end of it. <laughs> but that's, you know, I try to stay on top of it. So it's, I, I do enjoy like if, if it's a photo I'm really excited about doing, it's it's really cool to um, get it to a finished date. When I think of like, I guess my philosophy on retouching, it's been interesting because as I've, as I've like progressed in my career in photography, um, there's been a lot of things from like earlier in life that makes sense as to why I like it. And one of the things I remember from early, like being a kid, I remember seeing like the people magazines, like no makeup editions, but I knew they like must've retouched. It. I knew they must've done stuff. And I was so intrigued by the small nuances that made it all look natural still. Mm -hmm. And same with like make people that do makeup and everything. Um, and I think that kind of translates into the style of photography I do being super simplistic and clean. So I love the challenge of, and I don't always hit this perfect, but I love the challenge of trying to like perfect skin or gives one a natural contour without it looking too retouched. I think that's, that's really fun and i think it's really um it can really transform a photo and it's i, I just enjoy it <laughs> it's weird though because it's it's a it's yeah. a kind of it's an, a never-ending cycle because you could edit to to the end of time and it's kind of it takes a long time to learn where you're drawing the line personally it's a, it's an interesting sort of situation i think it's interesting too like from that perspective when you're teaching yourself or when you're learning that that's kind of one of the challenging parts of that I found learning photography is like deciding who to take advice from because someone could have good advice, but it might not be in alignment with like what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, that in tandem with, um, kind of the known unknown when you're starting photography, like knowing there's so much you don't know, but not knowing what it is, is, you know, there, there comes a certain point where you, it can kind of learn certain tools and stuff, but you really have to bring to the table what you're willing, you know, what makes your work yours and what your perspective says on it and how you choose to use these different retouching techniques or change them to a way that works for you. Um, yeah. So there's a question I ask pretty much everyone, and sometimes it doesn't even make the episode, um, but everyone that photographs people, um, and it's about sort of an ideal subject if you could pick one person to sit in front of your camera right now um i'm putting a, i'm putting a lot of i want to believe that you have an answer to this i'm putting faith in you so let's let's say right now studio set up who do you want to walk in that you can photograph 
this might sound a bit basic, but <laughs> I, I would love just, just because I feel like it could fit the style that I enjoy. And I feel like it would be, um, I would love to, I would love to photograph like Sean Mendez or Harry Styles. I think, I think they both have classic looks and it's kind of fits with what I try to achieve with my photography. And I think it would be really cool to pair, pair those two together and see what came out of it. I don't know what the height difference would be because I found out recently that Shawn Mendes is really tall and I did not know that. Yeah, I, I think I I think I saw that somewhere too. Kind of caught me out. I saw a picture of him with like a fan <laughs> and it was like, how short is that fan? And I was like, oh no, it's him. He's tall. I see. Yeah. Well, there you go. You actually gave me an answer which puts you in the in the Premier League of people answering questions on a podcast because most people just dodge that question like anything. Yeah, I mean, I'm not married to that or anything but i think i think it would be kind of cool so i wish this could go on forever but i uh, this has been <laughs> this genuinely has been a really fun chat likewise it's you know a lot like a photo shoot you never quite know what you're gonna get with a podcast i've had <laughs> one that stands out very strongly as like the whole build up of the the recording like all the way up to the point that we hit record and we started was like <clears throat> incredibly fun everything's bouncing off each other we're having a good laugh and then the minute i press record it completely changed and it felt very, very yeah very different and this has been great this has been fantastic um i feel like oh. we'll probably have another episode in us for sure at some point totally but you've been you've been far too generous with your time anyway and you've got a whole la day to enjoy so the most important part of the podcast is that we push as many people as possible towards what i like so that i become an algorithm that's essentially what i'm trying to do i'm trying to make everyone <laughs> like what i like uh, so we need to know where people can go to see your works. Definitely you need to tell us your website and everyone listening needs to go to your website to see your images big, which is how they should be seen. But Instagram, anything like that, please plug away. Um, yeah, I guess it would just be Instagram and my website really. Um, my Instagram is at parkburphoto, uh, P-A-R-K-B-U-R-R photo. And my website is Parker A burr.com how easy was that everyone needs to go to the website for sure more <laughs> photographers should have websites with big pictures in it instagram is great for what it is but we need to see photos bigger and that's what the website's for thank you so much for taking the time to do this well, thank you so much for having me it's been great